This is The Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Zleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater, one play at a time. We always want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. And we have a wonderful guest. I say that all the time, but I really do mean it, (laughs) especially when it's a guest that I haven't seen since 2012. Aaron Henney. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> say are, the name again. I, I just totally... Aaron Henney. <laughs> the uh, the artistic director of theater... Dibic? Dibic. Dibic. Yes, thank you. Um, you are the... Uh, it is a Jewish-based theater company in Los Angeles, uh, but I think you had your start here in the Bay Area before moving to L.A. Yeah, so I... Um, uh, first, first, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And I... Um, uh, so I grew up in New Jersey till my early teens. Oh wow! And then actually, I moved to the Far East Bay to Walnut Creek when I was halfway through high school. Uh-huh. And then I went to college in Los Angeles. So my whole adult professional life was based in Los Angeles, but I did do some work up here. Wow! And oh. we'll get we'll get more Nordic story from you a little bit later yeah. on. But yeah, theater uh, Dibbuk, and you've worked with a bunch of companies here. Uh, you and I we met when we did Mesmeric Revelation, your play at Central Works. Right. So you've worked with Central Works, and I'm sure a bunch oh, of nice. other theater companies mm-hmm. here in the Bay Area. So uh, it's great to having you here. And you're here because, Theater Dybbuk, you're doing The Merchant of Venice uh, tonight at the Oshman Family Jewish Community Center in Palo Alto. That'll be tonight at 6.30. Also, you'll be working at the Contemporary Jewish Museum in San Francisco tomorrow. Uh, Also doing Merchant of Venice, but also exploring the subject, the villainy you teach. That'll be tomorrow at 2 p.m. And then you'll be at the Cutting Ball Theater on Monday talking about you'll have a master class heritage history and humanity so that'll be fantastic norman as i always ask you how was your week it's been, you know uh, the holiday and it's weird oh and aaron uh, by all means have uh, something to uh, drink we have water nice. there as well yeah. snacks yeah got thank, a table. You. Mm-hmm. thank you um you know how the holiday throws everything off you 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 mm-hmm. take monday off and then tuesday doesn't feel right and the week just gets all weird when you're unemployed, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's right. Did you get so your, your we had a fabulous night? party, mm-hmm. um, and then I got up the next day and just sort of cleaned up from the party mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of days. So I was just like taking my time. Life is good. Um, I'm looking for work, but not stressed, which is what I think unemployment is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks like, so I didn't respond to you about next week. Next week is fine for me here, but I'm probably the first week in October, I'm going to go to L.A. Uh, oh, not sure. LA. I'm going to go to San Diego, see my mom. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm just sort of in this free folly, floaty state. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to go see the show at Shotgun yesterday, mm-hmm. and I'm like texting my date and saying, hey, uh, you know, do you want to get dinner before? And she's like, it's tomorrow. And I went, oh. Like, and so then I turned to my wife and I'm like, uh, so what are we doing for dinner? Because apparently I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, that's wolf play, right? Wolf play. Yeah. yeah. Yes, boxing. Def- Women boxing. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, is that right? I didn't realize that. I know nothing about it, but I'm learning. Yeah, yeah Elizabeth Carter. She's uh, she's getting back to directing in the, in the uh, Bay Area. Very cool. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, uh, well, we we are with heavy heart um, are 
actress. Uh, we Laura, yeah, Mitchler. Laura Mitchler. Yeah, she passed away. I don't know of what. I didn't even know that she was sick. But right. uh, I wrote a play, A Foreman in Paris, and you, as the director, was brilliant enough to cast her. We didn't even have a role for her. Right. I mean, because I really... Well, had we had one small role, which was the... Mar- the Marigold. Sort of, um, yeah, yeah, the aristocrat. Yeah. Which I thought would be doubled by, our, uh, by Priya. Right. But you said, hey, there's a woman who I think would be really... Who would capture what Paris is. Mm-hmm. And sort of the warmth. Well, I feel like in order to tell James Baldwin's story... You need to know, and and Richard Wright's story. You need to know about this these patrons. Yeah, yeah. the patronage thing was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, that was why they were so happy in Paris because yeah. there were people willing to support them. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was important, but that only ended up in one scene, mm-hmm. and it was the bigger issue was I kept struggling with you about the narrator because I, I oh yeah I, I I have strong feelings about the role of narrator on stage it, yeah. it needs to be and I wanted it more connected so, so Aaron this so Aaron this is basically about the story of Richard Wright the real life story of Richard right. Wright and James Baldwin and Chester Himes and Ollie Harrington and Ollie who I had as the narrator and oh, he was a narrator all through if you can think of uh, like Goodfellas you know you have uh, Henry Hill sure, sure. just doing the narration throughout the mm-hmm. entire film I had the same thing for Ollie some people like it, some people don't. And um, Well, I felt like there was a lot of him narrating and not a lot of him having any other storyline. So I'm mm-hmm. like, well, this will support the narration by pulling him back into the story if the woman running the cafe where they spend much of their time is developing a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So didn't yeah. add any lines in for her, just mm-hmm. that there were little winks yeah. and you know, as he'd finish up a piece of narration, she might yeah. be setting table or clearing table and he'd kind of go I'll be I'll talk to you later yeah and he'd go but also just her her walking around the stage she's you know like you have the opening scene with her with her shopping bag opening up the boutique right it really and of course the stage is minimal because Mm. we've got other sets and things going on so Mm -hmm. we want to keep the set as minimal as possible so we can be as flexible as possible right and she really added that Parisian feel yeah um, so it's sad to see her go, and there were so many people. It's funny, I, I'm sometimes critical of Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone posts, hey, you know, this is what wonderful thing is happening in my life. We don't post the bad stuff. Right. Uh, but it is a way for us to give our uh, dedication of, yeah. of what she meant, and also how actors connect with each other. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that she was a mentor to Helena. Ah, when she was I didn't going know through, that. yeah, because Helena was going through some stuff too. Right, she was I uh, she was yeah. pregnant at the time, right? Yeah, and we didn't know that, and she was going through some psychological stuff, and well, yeah, and Laura That's, supported her. Yeah. Max Max Chang yeah. was going through some stuff, you know, right. being as a young actor just coming out of school and having some insecurity issues, and right. Laura was there. Yeah, and these were things because I'm the producer, you're the uh, the director. director. Yeah. we don't know anything about that, right? So. But it's cool to have these stories come out and how theater isn't just, hey, let's put on a show for the audience, but it's a way to bond. It was wonderful to see the responses from people and to hear those stories. Because, yeah, when I'm directing, I'm worried about what's going on on stage. So if you're having an issue, yeah, let's stop and address your issue. Mm -hmm. But only really so that I can either fix it on stage or, you know, allow you to, to go deal with what you need to deal with. I, yeah. Aaron, I'll ask you this question, working with theater, uh, Dubuk. But do you find that theater, because, you know, obviously there's a business side of theater where, hey, we have a show, we have an objective, mm. <clears throat> we have a monetary objective, but also just the bonding part of it. I mean, that's something that's intangible. But 
I imagine that's important. We're talking about one production. We were it was a hit it and quit, and sure. we're not going to do anything else. But I'm sure the the need of of actors, I don't know, just bonding with each other. You know, I'm sure you've seen the importance of that. Absolutely. I mean, I think about you know we uh, we develop shows over a long period of time mm-hmm. uh, that we develop in house. So, for example, the the Merchant of Venice piece is actually the Merchant of Venice annotated, or in sooth, I know not oh, why I am no. so sad. So it's not a it's not a production of Merchant. It uses elements of Merchant and Elizabethan history mm. and uh, today's news. And I say that because it took a while to develop as a company, mm-hmm. and so you know deep bonds are formed over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. And the actors in the company, I mean, some I've worked with for more than a decade 15 years mm-hmm. some this is their 10th show with me yeah and you know and or with each other it's a decade of work and mm-hmm. so you know there's the there's the the pressure cooker of the production itself and the way that brings people together and then mm-hmm. there's sort of the long artistic relationships that develop and we come to understand each other so i i see it in both both forms which is yeah lovely and it really feels like family mm-hmm. yeah know? and it resonates on the stage the audience can feel it yeah. you know because you can't fake the connections, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So all those, some try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry to hear about. It sounds like there was a, a loss, and I'm, I'm yeah. glad to hear the community's at least able to sort of express. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know if it was you or Max who first posted it, but yeah, I think Laura's daughter actually it was one of those. Laura Mitchler has a post, and I guess someone got into her account. Yeah, probably her daughter is basically saying, "Listen, she passed away." Right. She passed away. I think it August was August first. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, but, you know, they posted in. Of course, you know, we don't need to know immediately. Right. And I'm glad that they did because we had an opportunity. I mean, I had a bunch of pictures, you know, mm-hmm. good old Colin Hussey took photos as we were. Oh, that's right. Yes. As we were doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I have all these, you know, collection of memories that I could just, you know, post it. And I hadn't even had her on my mind. Actually, I did. I, there was one play I was working on. I wanted to grab her. Uh, she <laughs> lived so far <laughs> away. Great. She lived so far away that we couldn't have her on for the yay, because I did ask her. Oh, where does she live? She had lived, it's close to Sacramento. Oh, geez. um, But it's far away. But Mm -hmm. in any case, these things happen. You know, we have, you know, we talk about Stephen, remember Stephen, um, what's the dude who, who, Stephen Randolph, who passed away. Oh, gosh. Charlie Larago. I mean, I can go on and on about individuals who I've been on stage with or I've worked with, and you think, oh, yeah, I'll see you in the next production. I, I know, that was what I said. I was like, because I did, you're right. Um, we got her in for a smaller role. She didn't really fit in any of the other roles, but I felt like something was going on there. So she reads the script and she's like, I've got this one scene where I'm really doing something. And like a lot of people do think, oh, that's not important. I was like, no, no, good playwrights don't put a character in that isn't ne- necessary, needed. So in that moment, this needs to become your show. This needs to become about you. And she kind of got it, but it was the cafe lady aspect of it, which was not written down anywhere, that she kept. We would have rehearsals, and I said, so I need you. The reason you called today is because I want to set this up. And since I've got you here, let's just do a series of these so that I'm not having you sit around while I do big scene work and you're just doing nothing. And it didn't take her very long to start to not only understand it, but to start adding her own flavor in. I was like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought for sure, oh, I'll definitely be working with her again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There have been uh, some current events. Um, so the U.S. Open, a U.S. Open fan was ejected after Hitler phrase was yelled during a match. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, my goodness. Did you hear about this? I did not. Wow. 
Yeah, it and you know you and I were talk. We were talking off mic mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of what Theater Dybbuk is uh, doing is raising awareness of you know of Jewish history, but also anti-Semitism. I mean, it still mm-hmm. as a black man, I'm I'm shocked at. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before. I just, I sort of understand, not that I agree or like it, racism against black people because you know you can see the difference. I mean, if I'm a block away, you can see that I'm black. Uh, we've heard people from you know who are Asian. <clears throat> talk about Asian but anti-Semitism it still goes on and I never quite understand it yeah. even within the newer generation we were talking about Parade uh, that was a parade. Uh, that was a uh, Broadway production on Le- about Leo Frank and there was a anti-Semitic group that protested it why do you think protested just, it uh, yeah and uh, Aaron why do you think it, it's still it's still around I thought it would be sort of an ancient thing that yeah. died out and newer generations would grow out of it but it's still around. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, one of the things we're dealing with in this production is asking this question of of, of how it shows up uh, again and again, yeah. uh, especially during times of great stress in society mm, and societal yeah. change yeah. Uh, or upheaval. And a lot of this, I think, has to do with, um, you know, one is we can track back, right, to the, to the birth of Christianity and the split that happened mm-hmm. among Jews mm-hmm. and... How do you deal with when something uh, supersedes one belief system and the conflict that arises? So it mm-hmm. is it is ancient. Yeah. Um, but I think because the seeds are so deeply planted, mm. it is uh, it is difficult to dislodge. Do you think it's passed on from generation to generation? I mean, I would think a younger generation, um, like I know my generation is reminded of the civil rights movement because I was born a year after King died. And so it was fresh in my family's memory. So they mm-hmm. would talk about that during dinner or lunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't think that – it sounds like you know for a younger person to still go out and protest against Leo Frank or to yell at the U.S. Open, right. you just wonder what is he or she taught you know, at the dinner table. Well, mm-hmm. I think one is there's a lot of cultural assumptions about Jewish people, about um, – uh, Ideas of of certain kinds of privilege, certain kinds of power, which oh, are conspiracy yeah. theory based. Yeah, uh, oh, right. Yeah. There's a lot of dog whistles. You hear people talk about George Soros. What they're actually doing is dog whistling to secret Jewish power that controls yes. finance yeah. and control, you know. And so I think it gets passed from generation to generation. But uh, like many things that are prejudicial, perhaps not consciously, it is a deep belief mm. that. We want to understand that in a chaotic world, somebody's pulling the strings, mm, and right. it is the other. Mm-hmm. And for generations and generations, Jews have been uh, an other, and mm-hmm. therefore, so I, you know, I think sometimes it's conscious, yeah. and other times it's just part of the sort of worldview. Mm-hmm. And when stresses arise, that mm-hmm. worldview becomes even more um, apparent. Yeah, and so. Right. Um, I'm sure, look, I'm sure there are families where it is blatant and at the dinner table things are said, but I'm sure in other places it's more a kind of buried belief that shows up um, and and then has very real-world consequences. I think there's also an aspect of opportunism in it. you got nothing else to offer, but there's this deep, that, you know, subconscious thing, and if we can scratch the surface of that and kind of encourage it bam people don't even know yeah. they've got these feelings they don't even know this stuff is in their head 
And then, you have a, and then you have a politician, an unscrupulous politician who doesn't have any real answers to real issues. Right. Say, hey, this is an easy, quick and easy way to get votes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let yeah. me blow a dog whistle. Yeah. And of course, their objective is only get elected. They may not even be anti-Semitic. They just want the votes. That's right. Oh, it's, but, it's so frustrating every time they say, oh, I'm not racist. Oh, I'm not anti-Semitic. Oh, I don't believe those things. And it's like, well, but you're saying it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So it's coming out of your mouth. Right. Yep. There's a wonderful, I think it's Jules Pfeiffer um, cartoon. Um, this is like a 70s book that he sure. did um, of the parents with their child. Child's in a little um, high chair feeding, right? And the <clears throat> child says their first word. And they're so, oh, great. So the parents are like reaching into the child's mouth and it's mama. And then dad comes over, dada. And they're both just sort of gleefully standing together so happy. And suddenly the kid goes, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And the last panel is the mouth taped over. Right, right, right. So that stuff comes from somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just thinking about the, even the banning of mouse. I mean, you know, like uh, Mm -hmm. in the Deep South, you know, there are states, uh, local communities who, for whatever reason, are like, well, no, let's not talk about other, you know. It makes people uncomfortable. Which, which is crazy. It's very, very strange. Well, they're not recognizing what it is that makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We're going to ban this story because it makes us uncomfortable. Why does it make you uncomfortable? Right. Because this is a horrific thing that happened. Yeah. And a wonderful way to tell it, especially the I kids. Think so. Yes. You know, mice. They've cats. gone on, they've, they've just banned Shakespeare. So somebody just asked me, my brother. Uh-huh. I'm making plans to make this travel, and my who, brother who says, "Well, I want to ask you about Shakespeare, yeah, because I heard that you can't do that, or you can only do sections of it now." And I'm like, "Not in California, because our AG just stepped up, and uh, Gavin Newsom just signed a law saying you cannot ban things for, for, on the basis of discrimination. Right. You can't do it because you don't like it." Mm-hmm. Um, but Florida has passed the law that says they cannot teach. Merchant, they don't want them teaching Merchant. Othello, they don't want them teaching Othello. Anything that references any kind of sexuality. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, these are high school students. What are you talking yeah, about? And their days are filled with, you know, right? yeah. the, the hormones. I mean, I think that, you know, something that, that fascinates me is, look, I think Shakespeare is fraught, right? right? Shakespeare is writing at a certain time, has all the cultural uh, prejudices and beliefs are present in the work. They show yeah. up. So let's talk about that, yeah. right? Let's actually <clears throat> investigate it. The thing about Merchant is why it's harrowing is because it, it may not even be conscious of its own anti-Semitism. It may not right. be conscious. So let's make it conscious for us learners. Yeah, yeah. That makes it richer, deeper. It gives us an opportunity to discover our own mm-hmm. fault lines and difficulties. So rather than banning, I think, though, that takes a certain kind of work, right? It takes the ability to investigate, to actually have the knowledge of what was going on at the time. And I think people are scared of that. I, They're afraid I, to not if, get it right. If you're going to educate, what better thing to educate than to go, wow, this scary thing. You know what? Knives are dangerous. Are we going to ban knives? No, we're not going to ban knives. We are going to teach you to be careful about knives, to use knives appropriately, to never... The thing I always do, I'm using a knife and I'm always cutting towards myself. And every time I catch myself, I'm like... You are not supposed to do this because mm-hmm. this is how you get cut. Yeah. To teach people that if we could teach people, this is how you become racist. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. pull that way. Yeah. Go the opposite right. way. But it also goes into how people think theater should be. There's some people who are like, hey, theater is just, just entertain. You know, I don't need to be challenged. Don't challenge me. Mm-hmm. I've always felt, 
and I've been in Bottle Productions of theater, that does challenge. That is the purpose. Yes. Right. I just finished, uh, we just did finish doing Radio Golf. Right. And yeah. talked about assimilation and August Wilson talking about the upper black man who's trying to reach up. How does he get there? Stepping on the other black man. Yep. And how his conscience will cost him his wife, cost him his, you know. His standing in the community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he gets to reconnect. So, theater to challenge. I think that's the job to be done. Some people are going to have problems with it. Well, it Absolutely. has to be done well. Um, yes. Because that's, Mara and I got into a huge, do you know about Fat Ham? Sure. Yes. Mara and I got into a, and she's not a theater person, so mm-hmm. the conversations are often illuminating because I'm like, well, wait a minute. Okay, let me, yeah. let me think about this and see if I can actually ground it in a reality that makes sense to you. Um, but she's like, why doesn't somebody do Fat Ham? And I'm like, well, because Fat Ham is basically Hamlet. But somebody, sort of like what you're saying with Merchant, somebody said, well, wait a minute. We don't need to be stuck in this shape. What if we give it a little more light? What if we bring in some other aspects? What if we go ahead and use the language, but don't let it be dead language? Recognize that our contemporary audience is going to hear this and feel something about it. And we might make that useful. So I'm like, don't do, don't bring fat ham here. Encourage everybody here to do their own Mm explorations please yeah. that would be exciting yep and with that let's hear an origin story mm. Aaron Hinney <laughs> <laughs> um, um, where were you born and raised sure uh, I was born in Bayonne New Jersey Joyzy, uh, Joyzy, hey, that's right. Uh, <laughs> generations, it see, it can come out, it can happen very, very quickly. Let me tell you. Um, I uh, so I was there until I was about fifteen. Okay, and uh, and my mother and stepfather, when I was about fifteen, decided to kind of start over. It was the early nineties; they closed their business. It was right around wow. the time of that very early nineties recession, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, and so uh, we moved from uh, Bayonne, New Jersey. Which is like Jersey, right? To Walnut Creek, California, oh, wow. <laughs> and you know, uh, and that As was it. Was going through its own. transition. It was going through its own transition, right? Because that was ninety two, ninety three, somewhere around was, there. It was blowing up. Yeah, and uh, and then what happened was I and look, I've been doing theater my whole life. I started doing theater when I was five. My father is a musician who uh, was a music director for the- theatrical productions wow. for much of my childhood. So I, I, you know, I came up around it. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, when I was very young, he was the musical director for Yip Harburg, who wrote the lyrics to Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, isn't, yeah, isn't that wild? That is cool. Um, so... Uh, we moved to Walnut Creek, and you know, I did I did community theater in the area at the uh, at the, the lecture. lecture. That's yeah. right, that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked with some of the companies there. I think Diablo Light Opera. I did oh, something with. When damn. I was, yeah, when I was. So a, you sang? I sang. Huh? I sang. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you know and then I went down to LA for college. I went to Occidental College, mm-hmm. a okay. small school in mm-hmm. in uh, Eagle Rock. And, you know, that's really where I discovered playwriting. I thought I was going to be an actor, like so many people who start in theater. And uh, about halfway through college, I wrote my first play and I went, oh, oh, this is it. Uh, Nice. And I also then didn't have to memorize anything, which Mm -hmm. also made life easy. (laughs) Um, But I immediately recognized that I I had an interest in in work that was um, not always linear, that used... uh, theatrical techniques involving movement and, mm-hmm. and, and poetic language. I'm very language. impressed with your writing. Yeah. You, you're a very intellectual writer, and but also not to be so buried into the intellect that you lose the emotion. Right. 
Right. Which yeah. Would be very but, tricky. I mean, you talked about provocation and one of the and and or about challenge and one yeah. of the you know not only. Am I interested in content challenges, but mm-hmm. also style challenges of saying to people, we're going yeah. to overwhelm you. We're going to give you more than you think you can handle. It's going yeah, to be yeah, intellectual. Yeah. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be physical. It's going to be vocal. And you may miss something. And that's actually part of the game, mm-hmm. right? Right. That in a world where maybe some of what we're asked to do is lay back, you know, mm-hmm. sit back and enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of, no, 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 we want you to work. Uh-huh. We want right. you to sacrifice something of yourself. I love that idea. Getting the audience to work. Yeah. 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 And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, no. you know, f- spoon feeding. And, I, you know, I think there's a battle. As a playwright, I mean, that's one thing that I want to ask you. Is there a sure. battle of getting an audience who has been in, indoctrin- I shouldn't say indoctrinated, but spoon fed TV. Mm-hmm, here's yeah. TV. Here's movies. And here is right. the narrative of it. We're going to spoon feed you everything. Right. We're going right, to wrap right. it all up in a bow. Everyone lives happily ever after. Soundtrack will tell you, oh, this is a tense moment. Right. Oh, this is a happy moment. Yeah, Absolutely. the cliches. And the and the and so for a a writer who really wants to get an idea out and to challenge an audience, you can get some blowback. You can get an audience saying, "Geez, that was weird." Absolutely. Look, I, I mean, I often say I am not in the business of entertainment, mm-hmm. oh. and uh, you know, okay. I, I, I'm just not. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes entertainment is the sugar that allows you to take the medicine, right? Sure, sure. But but I'm in the business of provocation, of challenge. Of asking people to work, and what that means is, it tends to be a love it or hate it proposition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it really does. Yeah. people come to the work that I help create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're either like, "This is it. I wanna, I wanna work. I wanna figure it out. I wanna understand," or they're out. Yeah, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be. Uh, I, I remember a teacher who said, "Don't be codependent with your audience." Mm. You know, nice. <laughs> I like that. Right? The, this idea of like, I need to be aware of my audience. I need to be mm-hmm. aware of what's landing and what's of course. not. Of and, course. Right? Yeah. And it's not going to be for everybody. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if I'm trying to people please and make it for everybody, I'm going to undercut my yeah. own artist. It's not like it's not like process. you're. It's not like a restaurant where you know you're. There's people have a menu and they get to <laughs> select right. what they want and you give them exactly what they want. Right. You know, and that's one of the cool things about live theater. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're going to get. You know, yeah. when you walk in. Um, well, and I prefer yeah. I prefer that rather than trying to assume that your audience is all going to have one experience, to cast a net and know that some are going to slip through, but even the ones that slip through are going to watch. I mean, that's I saw Fred Pitt's show a few weeks ago. Aren't you? Solo show. Yeah. And, um, you know, black man, one of few, the few black people in the audience, he's saying certain things and we're going, mm-hmm. And he actually calls and res- not call and response so much but he says show of hands how many people have experienced this and there are a bunch of us going yeah oh interesting <laughs> and to know that the people sitting on either side of me are kind of going oh I had that experience when I was in college in an audience and walked out wanting to talk to the people next to me because I was curious to know mm. what their experience was because I felt it different from mine yeah. and I was like so, and there was no way to even begin to articulate it, <clears throat> which means the play just kept, my brain just kept chewing on it. I'm like, God, anytime I can do that where an audience is going, I can't stop thinking about your piece. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's there you go. That's the job. Yeah. And I'll, I'll mention one last thing before we get back to <clears throat> yours. So sure. I, earlier this year, I was a stage manager for Tasha, uh, right. which is about Tasha McKenna, who was a woman who was incarcerated and killed. Uh, while being incarcerated, and she had some mental issues, and Serious mental so someone wrote a one-woman yep. show. Uh, Kat Brooks wrote a one-woman show about it, 
And the last show, there was a white woman. We know her, and we're not. I'm not right, going to yeah, her name. Who had a, a visceral reaction? There was a talkback, and she was like, "Listen, you know." And I think she was feeling under overwhelmed because she was a white woman right. in this largely black audience. She's like, "Listen, I know how the black experience is. You know, I have grandkids <laughs> who are black, and you know, and there some of them are dark." And she was just saying all sorts of stuff. But I said to myself. A lot of people were like, oh, my God, this is just horrible. She was escorted out right. of the wow. audience. That's how bad it was. Yeah. Oh, wow. But I said to myself, this is the type of theater that's provocative. I imagine yes. Bertrand Brecht was still alive. You oh, know, yeah. he wrote this type of stuff where it was provocative and it, it, it excited an Ibsen, audience. Where people yeah. are literally rioting <clears throat> in the streets. I'm like, oh, my God, before I die, I would love to produce a play mm-hmm. where people are rioting in the streets. Oh, so my God, like, please take me away in handcuffs. Yes. Because I did theater. Yes. What are you in for, man? Uh, I, I made some theater. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and the job to be done is to provoke. If you're in that business, right? If of you're theater. in that business, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, I respect that there. Are, you know, there are as many reasons and ways as there are artists, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This just happens to be mine. Right. 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 Yeah. So the question I have is: Did you feel that even when you were young, like? Go back to when, the moment where you were like, hey, listen, this theater thing isn't just a ha- hobby that I'm yeah. going to do while I get a real job. This is my thing. Um, did I know, uh, So is your question, did I know that that was sort of the, the yeah. way I wanted to approach? Yeah, or, or, and, and when? Like, when did you realize this is, this is it? Oh, oh, I see. Um, you know, I was, I think, one of those fortunate people who... Mm-hmm kind of my whole life I knew it was the thing Mm. I started doing shows when I was five Mm. and I you know like many kids came up as I said doing musicals and I was like oh this is this is the thing Mm. I remember when others thought it was sort of a hobby I was like no 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 this is it Uh and I do think though it was that moment um, in college when I wrote my first play where I went no, no, no. This is the thing. Yeah. That uh, I, specific, I like having yeah. my view on the whole vision, yeah. on the whole way of telling the story, yeah. mm-hmm. of being the, the sort of uh, beginning of the process. Yeah. Right? Um, and then I would say that there was a moment probably in my early to mid-20s where I tried to escape my fate as an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? This, yes. uh, this is a common story. Yeah. I got scared. How am I going to make a living? How am I, right? right? I think I was selling shoes at the time to, like, pay the bills. Yeah. And... Am I fooling myself? Am I fooling myself? You know, what what comforts am I going to have to give up? And is mm-hmm. that okay? Right. And yeah. all those all those scared things, you know, that are perfectly human and reasonable. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, I thought for a brief period uh, that I might that I might become a rabbi. This is actually okay. totally totally the case. Yeah. I was like twenty four, twenty three. And I realized, and I have lots of friends who are rabbis now, and I mm-hmm. admire the work, but I realized, like, oh, I was going to be doing a lot more work to do something that was not what I wanted to do. Sure. You know, when I remember when I did a little research, and it was like, seven years of school, and this, and I was like, wait, 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 hold on. Right. Hold on, I'm going to do that to... to do the thing that is to not really... To, right, yeah. to get started. Right, to get started. And yeah. I suddenly went, Aaron, you just need to dedicate, need to, to say whatever it costs Mm -hmm. um it's worth it because this is at the core of who you are yeah 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 no that that is awesome usually i ask um actors you know folks who we have on what their technique is i'll ask you a different question what is your technique as a writer uh do you i know for myself i will have an idea in my head maybe for months 
yeah. maybe for a year or so before yeah. I actually put something on paper. There are people who are exactly the opposite. They need to just get whatever they have on their on paper or now in a word document. Yeah. And but uh, how what how is a Aaron? <laughs> yeah. What does an Aaron Henny play? I mean, how do you, how do you construct it? <laughs> Great. Well, and I'm curious. Yeah, I want to hear more about the central work thing. We're sure. all central workers here. So. Yeah. So actually, this is totally interconnected because I, I will give central works a lot of props. I, I will tell you, you know, a lot of my career was spent even fairly early in my professional career doing. Um, ensemble-based long development work. I got involved with a company called Son of Semily Ensemble in Los Angeles and was mm. doing work with them with development. I developed a show at the Odyssey Theater in Los Angeles uh-huh. that took about nine months to a year to develop. And um, so my process, and this ties back to Central Works, is really one of group development but singular writing, meaning I'm the writer but I'm working with a company sure. right, that helps to develop it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I usually write between three and five hundred pages for what will eventually be a sixty to ninety page script, wow. uh, right? Because right, right, right. Wow. you're carving it away and <laughs> yeah. figuring it out. And to give Central Works credit, you know, um, when I worked with Central Works in 2010 through 2012, two shows over that period, the process Central Works uses is really a process that elements of it are now fundamental to my own process. Oh. You know, yeah, 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 um, because. Uh, and I want to kind of honor that and yeah. say that it was such a key part of my own development yeah. that I was able to incorporate other ensemble processes I learned with Central Works process sure. with other things that I just picked up over the years. Yeah. And so, what was the other yeah. show? Now uh, it was called A Man's Home. It was based on Kafka's The Castle. It was 2011. Oh, okay. Huh. And um, uh, that was one. Just to loop back to your sure, thing sure. about love and hate, I remember. You know, some people that show, they were like, I'm out. I can't. Not for me. There was one person who came six times because they wanted to, like, crack it. They wanted to understand it. So that talk about the diversity of experience. Um, So that's what's the Aaron Henny process is, you know, here's a basic idea. Um, I'm going to develop it over time with an ensemble. I'm going to be the singular writer. I'm going to work with scholars who are going to actually give a lot of research and challenge me on the research Mm -hmm. and help me understand it. And... I'll say pre-COVID, we're only coming back to this now, two to four times a month gathering with the ensemble to also do physical development work over the course of a year so that I'm really aware of the physicality of the ensemble. And that may not be directly showing up in the play, but it's showing up in the texture and the way in which I'm thinking of the storytelling. Yeah, I love that concept. And Gary Graves was on. He talked a lot about this concept. It's almost like being a tailor. Yes. Crafting the play to fit the space, to fit the actors. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, you know, these meetings that you have, you know, Gary or Jan will say, well, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? And, you know, and, he, you know, maybe maybe you should focus on this. Yeah. Um, and it's a wonderful and sometimes it could be a pressure cooker, you Absolutely. know, for the uh, the writer mm-hmm. where, you know, you can feel cut up. I remember, you know, doing table reads <laughs> and, uh, you know, hearing some comments. I'm like, oh, my God, they didn't yeah. get it. All right. You can feel really, really depressed. But you have to have the, the mentality to take it and know that it's part of a collaborative process. Absolutely. And, and that... No, what I love about these collaborative processes is nothing is precious. Imperfection is the name of the game. Yeah. Right? You show up going, this is a mess, but I need to hear it to understand it because yeah. a play is not a play until you're hearing it or it's on its feet it's until then it's a script. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I I think that absolutely it's a it's a pressure cooker, but it's one that really, you know, 
to mix metaphors, forges something. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. And so you've carried that theater dibbuk. Now, are you the only writer, or are there other writers? I am the only writer. So okay. it's it's sort of built on the you know uh, some, for example, choreographic models where it's you know the, there's a main choreographer. Sure. And um, so I'm the I'm the only writer, mm-hmm. but we have a dedicated ensemble that we work that you know I work with again and again. Nice. Um, and then occasionally we do other things that are sort of. Uh, not because the shows take so long to develop mm-hmm. that we also do other theatrical things. So, for example, we're starting to do what we call illuminated lectures where scholars will deliver a lecture on something and inside the lecture are performed readings of things that happen in the lecture. And so nice, that's led nice, by the scholar, nice. not yeah. by me, right? Or The Villainy You Teach, mm-hmm. for example, which is happening at the Contemporary Jewish Museum um, on this Sunday uh-huh. as a companion to The Merchant of Venice Annotated, oh. is actually a piece where I didn't do any writing, mm-hmm. but it's conceived by me with the ensemble where while the entire cast is reading The Merchant of Venice, sure. one actor for two hours is performing the half-not-a-Jew-eyes speech from Merchant again and again for two hours straight. Interesting. And as an act of asking what is it to take on language that isn't your own, that over time has accumulated various meanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that obviously is not a written piece by me. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a, a theatrical exploration of something. And is the objective to sort of teach the audience how an actor works or how language works, or is it more expansive as to just, um, I don't know, the history of, let's say, Shakespeare, or the history of getting back into Jewish and anti-Semitism, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think it's expansive in the sense of it's that particular piece mm-hmm. is truly operating the way a lot of performance art does, where it's it's kind of an open forum for what you want to hear in it. Yeah, so yeah. some people will hear it as a, a, a kind of, you know, um, exploration of the humanity of what it is to kind of proclaim who you are. Right. Others will actually hear it as a, a provocation about, oh, that language is offensive and difficult for uh-huh. me, and to uh-huh. hear somebody have to say it again and again. Others mm. will hear it. So it's it's also meant to be engaged with in a variety of ways, meaning that piece is in a gallery. Some people may come for all two and a half hours and sit and Oh. Witness the whole thing. Others may come and go and stay for two minutes, you yeah. know, and, and leave and go then explore the rest That's of the museum. That's fun. Um, my wife and I have been talking um, scripts recently, and again, she only knows what the layman knows about Shakespeare, and I teach Shakespeare, so oh, yeah. it's always interesting. It's, it's, um, Buckminster Fuller once said that if you can't explain a concept to an eight-year-old, maybe you don't really know what you're huh. talking about. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's yeah. basically the gist of it. So anytime these conversations come up, I'm always challenged and intrigued. Merchant comes up. Mm. And, and in fact, she brought, she mentioned it. She said, Merchant. Um, and I said, ah, Merchant, you know, that's going to be difficult to you. I, I think in order, like, there are so many of the plays where, like, with Othello, if you don't really have, hopefully, a strong Othello, definitely a strong Iago, you shouldn't be doing the play because right. it's, it's like Richard III. You... If you don't have that central actor to really be the engine of this, it doesn't matter what you're trying to say or what you're trying to do with it. The audience is just going to tune out. Right. But before I could say another word, she said, like Adam Sandler. And I went, oh, crap. Uncut Gems. If you haven't seen it, see Uncut Gems and think Shylock. And I'm like, oh my God, if we made Shylock the biggest asshole that a human being <laughs> yeah. can fit in their body, yeah. but 
from beginning to end, we cannot stop watching him. And we find by the end, we're rooting for him. Mm-hmm. We actually would be happy if yeah. he gets what he wants, even though he doesn't deserve it, even though he's an asshole. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God, if you do that. Woo. So let's yeah. not be precious yeah. and let's not be apologetic. And that's like, oh, my poor humanity is being judged. No, I fully believe I should have everything that I can get. Yeah. Why shouldn't I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think about that. I will tell you that that act four scene one of Merchant, which is the trial scene, right, right. is harrowing because if you understand that the world in which Shylock is operating, everything's, you know, it's a world where everything's aligned against him. Portia, against him. Portia has sort of, you know, used her privilege to, you know, also her, I mean, she's a woman, so there's marginalization too. I don't want right, to, right, right. right? Uh, to, but nonetheless, everything's aligned against him. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I heard a scholar say this, and it kind of blew my mind around Merchant. said, at the time, the very thing that we think of as harrowing and horrible, the audience might have seen as um, a triumph, a happy ending, which yeah, is right, right, right. Shylock loses, yeah. and he also needs to convert. Yep. And we now go, oh, how is this a comedy? We have to remember that at that time, the audience might have seen that as a, as a triumph. Yeah, right? as a positive outcome. As a positive outcome. He's been, you know... He's um, been saved. So one of the ways we deal with this is mm-hmm. because we're not doing Merchant, we're exploding Merchant, uh, all five actors in the piece play Shylock. There are five scenes with Shylock and everyone steps into the role. Sure. Mm. And so we sort of get to imprint on mm-hmm. them and they get to, to sort of bring their own interpretation to right. the role. And so we're seeing the different mm-hmm. facets, the different ways in which this might be played and received. Yeah. it's. I, I, once you said that, I was like, now I do want to see that. Now, yeah, 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 <laughs> now yeah. I'm interested. How has the audience's reception been? Because I imagine this isn't the first time you coming to Palo Alto. I imagine it's been done in LA before. Yeah, we did a run in LA in May, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we brought it for a. So we have, thanks to the Covenant Foundation, we have um, uh, a, a program that is bringing us to uh, six regions over about two years nice. for week-long residencies that mm-hmm. include performance and include workshops and other things. Mm-hmm. So we did a, a short, a limited run in LA. Mm-hmm. We brought a performance to San Diego mm-hmm. uh, in June. Now we're here. We're in Portland in a month and a half. We're in Baltimore in January. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah, yeah. If in, you can it, keep it going to next August, come back to... Um, so Playground, Playground SF oh, uh, yeah. runs the Petrero stage. And they do a program in August called oh. Free Play. I think it's called Free Play, um, where we invite existing productions to okay. come up and yeah, use you should talk to Jim Kleiman. Yeah, yeah, Jim Kleiman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will happily yeah. give you. I appreciate that. Well, that was we were talking. We had a resident company that stepped out, and Jim said, "Before I worry about just trying to rent the space out, I'm wondering if how could we better." support the theater community how can we make this something that is useful to the theater community and beyond our company how can we do that and i was like well you know what i would like i'm tired of people soldiers play everybody who was in soldiers plays going god i hate that that show is over and i'm like y'all were not equity actors there's no reason y'all couldn't take that play and put it someplace else so this is perfect for this i I will definitely thank you for get you information for that. that um so in, in terms of your question of how, it was re- how it's been received, mm-hmm. you know, uh, positively in the sense that people are grappling. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're sitting there. I can see them working. Uh, they're, they're trying to sort of understand it, deal with – I mean, it, because it's kind of kaleidoscopic and brings together all these elements of mm-hmm. history – 
you know, some people really attach to certain moments and certain elements. Um, it's also, it's a play that kind of says we are living through a chaotic time that we're all carrying sadness with us. And yeah, so I was going to say those um, parallels, comparisons yeah. between... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it leaves us in a place of just acknowledging our sadness. I mean, the first line of Merchant of Venice is, in sooth I know not why I am so sad. <laughs> that is the first line of this comedy, The Merchant of Venice. Right. So we deal with that in the play, that during times of upheaval and change and fear we are all carrying around sadness mm-hmm. and what and and how do we take that sadness and unfortunately displace it on the other quote unquote yeah and people are i think um leaving feeling that yeah you know they they are leaving in a place of going right this is the world we're living in listening to you guys talk about shylock um it reminded me of i think it's for measure for measure um some rise by sin and some by virtue fall, um, hmm. where some people <clears throat> do rise up by doing evil things, or you know they mm-hmm. just you know they they feel justified. Everyone feels any evil person, you know, whether it be Donald Trump or you know some. Right. I'm, I'm the good guy, right? And you don't understand my point of view. That's why I'm doing the things that I do. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about when you the villainy you teach. Mm-hmm. Does it get into that the parallels between I guess Merchant of Venice and what we see today? So the vill- villainy you teach doesn't because it's a – I mean it does in the texture, right, if that's mm-hmm. on your mind. Sure. The Merchant of Venice annotated blatantly does. Yes. So the main piece blatantly does. We begin the piece mm-hmm. talking about the world of uh, of Elizabethan history at that moment. Mm-hmm. We talk about how there's anxiety about a change in government because Elizabeth was getting old. We talk about how uh, – Inflation is on the rise and prices are rising. We talk about how there's anti-immigrant sentiment in England at the time. Mm-hmm. So we are blatantly yes. showing that that moment, uh, I won't call it a mirror to this moment. There's a scholar I worked with who, who said it's you know not a mirror, but it rhymes. You know, it rhymes with this moment. Sure. Right. And, and so I'll give you an example of how we do this. You hear that at the beginning, mm-hmm. but uh, and then we also hear dog whistle speeches from people like Victor Orban or Tucker Carlson. Yeah. So we literally yeah. hear those while Merchant is happening, yeah. while we're also hearing about the anxieties that were going on during Elizabethan times. So we are putting those side by Excellent. side. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, because yeah, I can definitely see that. Let's talk about heritage, history, and humanity. What is that about? Are, are, okay. Is it an education into does it is it anti-semitism or does it is it more expansive it's more expansive i would say that um you know because of my own work in using jewish history to Mm -hmm. to look at issues in our world in a variety of ways partially because jews have been in so many places in the world in different settings often often in marginalized positions but not always Mm -hmm. but nonetheless um uh I realized that my own my own specialty developed over the years is how to use that history that interests me to to look at our world now, mm-hmm. and so the class is really designed to mm-hmm. get theater artists thinking about oh how might I dive into my own heritage and history yeah uh, as a way of talking about the things in our world that are of mm-hmm. interest so it's really a two part class in you know three and a half hours where the first <laughs> half you know so two two short parts uh, the first half is really a playwriting class it's mm-hmm. it's I'm going to help you think about mm-hmm. um, you know the topics you want to talk about and the moments of your own life or your cultural history yeah. that 
align with those topics. Sure. And then the second half, we move into physical exploration. We get on our feet. Artists from Theater Dybbuk will be there. We're going to do some some movement work and think about how you combine the text with the movement. Yeah. One question that just popped in my mind, I'm always interested in the techniques of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, we had There was one... There was a play called uh, Lifetimes 3, and a good friend of mine, Cecilia Palmtag, directed that. It's basically about – it deals with the Higgs bosom, and it also uh-huh. deals with um, uh, uh, an individual. It's an intellectual person who's writing about the Higgs bosom, but he's in competition with someone else, and he's having issues with the family, the home. And the play is interesting because it was written by – oh, shucks. I have the poster in my bathroom. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but in any case, the scene – is rewritten three times. Act one, they do the scene. Act two, they do it again, but there's a little bit of tweaking. And then act three. Uh, But my question is this. Uh, There was one actor who did not get the concept at all. Uh, We dealt with a lot of uh, physical work, you know, just um, basically abstract. Let's say you're an amoeba or you're this, you know. (laughs) The director was like, hey, listen, you know, we're all dust. We're all stardust. And so I really want you to get that into your body. And this one guy who's like a veteran actor, he's in traditional theater, he's like, listen, I got to quit. And he did. He quit. Wow. Uh, my question is, how do you deal? Because let's say someone who works with theater, Dubbuk, um, Di- Dibbuk, Dibbuk, I'm Dibbuk. sorry. I'm, I will okay. get it right. It's, it's all right. Get, get it's it's I understand the why <laughs> out of your mind. <laughs> exactly. Spell it D-I-B-B-U-K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's say an actor comes in, doesn't really understand how yeah. you work. How do you deal with that? So I, I think one if and you know this, yeah. half of directing is casting, right? right. If yeah. not more. Oh, yeah. at, if at not least, more. Yeah. Maybe maybe 80-90%. Right. So some of it is that um, I hope that most of the time mm-hmm. I, I've got the eye on casting of going, oh, that may be a wonderful actor, but this process won't be a match for right, or what right. have you. Exactly. It, and I think when I've missed the mark, because of, of course I have, um, what I need to do is get curious about how can this person hear? Mm-hmm. How can, you know, my job as a director is to say, what do I need to hold back? What do I need to say? Where do I push? Where do I not push? Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a fine line of um, if we're building work mm-hmm. with and on the people who, who are developing the show, then the show should also reflect their capabilities, their mm-hmm. talents. Yeah. Um, that being said, Sure, there are times, and then a really honest conversation needs to happen of like, this is where we're going. Yeah. Are you on board? And if not, maybe we do need to part ways, and that's okay. Sure. And hopefully you'll have the conversation as early as possible. Exactly. I also think some of it is, has the physical work been done to get people to the point of comfort? I mean, part of of why these companies that build physical shows over time have like – years of training and weekly training or monthly trainings Mm -hmm. is so that people are sort of on the same page Mm -hmm. about the the physical vocabulary Mm -hmm. and the ways of storytelling. Yeah. I think a lot of shows where we try to bring that in um, without planting those seeds uh, early and over time. Yeah. You know, uh, I think uh, run into difficulties sure. because of where sure. the majority of training and experience may yeah. be. Because I get a sense that that is the type of work, because I saw it in Mesmeric. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a lot more in, in theater. Mm-hmm. Dibbuk. Thank Nicely you. done. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do think, and Norman and I, you and I have talked about this the, the relationship between the actor and the director, where you, you try to push, you think you have an understanding of where that actor is mm-hmm. during the casting. 
you may get a different understanding. Yeah, yeah I, I love, from you. Yeah, what, no, I just love because um, uh, yeah, I if I'm going to give a number to casting, I, I generally would say like seventy percent. But like the show I directed last year. I had a very, I had almost no talent pool. Pool? Puddle. I, I didn't even have a fucking puddle. And the theater, the producers were not helpful. Mm-hmm. So I ended this up... This is compared to what, right? Compared to what? Yes. I ended up with what I ended up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, rather than feeling like I had lost something, I mean, that's the biggest mistake is to... It's the same thing as an actor. I did much ado. I had a young Asian woman play my Don Pedro, highest status character in the play, this is the person who has the most power in the play. And it was a young Asian woman. And I'm like, uh, and a very sort of giggly young Asian woman. And I'm like, okay, so let go of all my ideas about what the play is supposed to be and who this character in my head is supposed to be. This is what I have to deal with. Now, how do I wrap my head around that? And I basically just sort of made her a playful and fun young Elon Musk. <laughs> There you go. Knows what they want to do, is quick to make decisions, <clears throat> doesn't mind chaos, in fact, enjoys chaos. And the backstory is that this person has proven themselves to be powerful, to make good decisions, so therefore I should trust them. Right. Quick. Had to let go of that. Yeah. So right. um, with the casting on compared to what, I ended up with what I ended up with. And then I still said, well, I've got these ideas in my head I would like to explore. So let me throw them out and see what happens. And some actors could really get what I was wanting. I had one actor who was just like one step away from vaudeville. (laughs) And so anything more conceptual was just impossible. So I had to be specific. (laughs) I want this. And oh my God, he was so directable. So I was great. I had another actor who was a young actor... I wasn't sure how green he was. I threw out an idea that I knew I did not have time to fully rehearse. Right. I watched over the weeks of the run as he just refined it and refined it and built more. And then he started building relationships between characters that I had not had time for, but he clearly saw that there was possibility there. I can't fully take responsibility for that. I can't say that was mine. I can say that I created the shape. But I tried to create a shape that... You know, compensated for where there were strengths and where there might be wheeling, uh, weaknesses, challenges for these people. I tried to incorporate all that in my mindset so that I wasn't going, I wish it was this thing and it's not this thing and I'm just going to keep... Yeah. Beating my head against a wall. I imagine a lot of it is letting go of your concepts. Because I'm sure as a director, for both of you, you have a concept of where the play should be and what the characters are. I would say adjusting. I don't let go. (laughs) Yeah, I think adjusting is a good good way to put it. Sometimes I put it on a back burner, but I do not take it off the stove. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's been fascinating is also watching actors learn what they need to do to show up for this particular kind of work. So, for example, I remember in a process watching an actor realize that, oh, they couldn't take their normal blocking notes. They had to take notes in a different way. So I had to be patient with the understanding of, they realized that because we do such choreographic work, they had to take notes like, turn to the left at the top of the word. Which is different than turn to the left at the bottom of the word. They weren't accustomed to taking notes that way because they tended to be working in more naturalistic ways. Sure, sure. So I had to be a little patient with, Mm -hmm. oh, it's not that they're not interested. It's that they literally have to 
pull different tools out of the box. Yeah, mm-hmm. which leads to my next question because you talk about challenging the audience. Yep. I imagine you also challenge your actors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Even those. I mean, let's say you made the right choice in casting, you can work with them, and they are malleable to you know your direction. But I'm sure there's a time in the rehearsal process where it's like, okay, I'm frustrated. I, I, you're telling me in five different ways what to do. I'm, I think I'm doing it. But obviously I'm not. Yeah. How do you deal with that? I mean, the task, look, the task is huge. I give my, you know, I give the actors I work with uh, so, so much uh, respect mm-hmm. because the task is huge. They are often asked to be saying more lines than two or three people in, in a, a traditional play might say, mm-hmm. while also doing highly choreographed work mm-hmm. that's precise, while also often also having some singing work to do. Mm-hmm. So... I, one is I need to understand that the task is huge, and so I have to allow them to find their way to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think because I am very conscious in my communication to always be very respectful, even down to if I'm going to take photos in rehearsal, oh, I yeah. say, here's what we're doing. Is that okay with you? Here's how we're going to use them. Some of that is we're a union, sure. so there's things yeah. like that, but... but at every step of the way, I am asked, my team is showing high, high degrees of respect. And I think what that results in is them saying, you are asking me to do more than I'm usually asked to do, but I'm going to show up for it because you're showing up for me. Yeah, there you and, go. And uh, there is a, a mutuality there. I do think that, and, you know, sure, people lose faith sometimes. And people, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes my job, because I... I work with really great actors mm-hmm. who know what they're doing as actors. They know how to fill the structures because okay. uh, I'm not an acting coach. I'm a director, right? <laughs> right. And so the, I trust them to show up. I might say, oh, give me a little more here, a little less there, but they're the ones finding the notes. I'm merely, merely, you know, kind of uh, conducting. conducting. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. right, right. Uh, so, uh, so I think, though, what that means is that I have to trust that they're going to go through their doubt doubt moments Mm -hmm. and they're going to find their way through it yeah and sometimes my job therefore is to be a cheerleader gotcha Mm -hmm. sometimes it is sometimes my job is just to say you're doing great you're going to get there yeah and as an actor i appreciate that (laughs) yeah because i need to know am i in the right heading in the right direction and usually if i don't hear anything from the director because they're busy with someone else or trying to fix that problem i'm like well they're trying to fix that problem i'm not the problem so Mm -hmm. i I guess i'm good yeah I, i keep having to remind myself to to give them that positive feedback because it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia of fix this, tweak that, yeah. solve this, yeah. Yeah. and mm-hmm. not remember to go, bam, I'm loving what's happening there and specifically I'm loving it in this way. You know, and there's, there's my feedback to you. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And that also, right, it results in it sticking. Yeah. It's then repeatable because if, if they don't get that feedback while the assumption may be it's fine yeah mm-hmm. it, it, you know i'll go where'd that moment go and they say you didn't tell me that was the moment you liked right, you know? exactly. <laughs> that's why we need the assurance yeah i yeah. mean that's that's film acting yeah if if you didn't tell me to do what i did last time i'm gonna keep exploring right 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 exactly and the last question because we've crossed uh, the one hour mark sure. where do you see yourself where do you see theater dibbuck in the future that's five ten years from that's now a great question mm. um five to ten years from now I here's 
what I would love for the company, and this is, of course, completely linked with where I see myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're beginning this process of really starting to go national, international. We're actually going to Montreal in, uh, in, oh, uh, awesome. in November of mm-hmm. 2024, so it's a little ways away. Yeah. Um, uh, the same I, project? Uh, we're still figuring out with our partners if this is the project they want. Okay, great. Uh, but I'm, I'm hopeful that it is. I know that. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, what I see is I would really love five, ten years from now for us to be touring in a bigger way mm-hmm. with runs in various cities. And, and I think also, look, the company has a particular kind of, uh, as you alluded to, mixture of intellectualism, highly emotional, and highly challenging mm-hmm. in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be not only having that have a, a, a bigger impact on the landscape uh, directly, but also indirectly. Mm-hmm. These classes we're doing, like Heritage, History, and Humanity, I've been, I'd love to be working with more artists where we become a kind of... Uh, center for training. Mm-hmm. We become a place that people go, oh, I want to work with Theater Dybbuk to develop my own skills in these areas. Yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing both those sides of the work. No, that's awesome. I can see an audience member or a student saying, hey, you know, I thought I knew what theater was. Mm-hmm. This is a new way of looking at theater. Yep. This yeah. is a new way of exploring a character or exploring how to write a play right. or just exploring the world. Yeah. So I think it's awesome. I think yeah. it's really, really fantastic. I, I, coming out of college, saw a small theater company. Uh, actually, one of my professors was in the show. And so I went to see it. Blew my mind. It was that popcorn experience that was happening where yeah. the people next to me are leaning in and humming and hawing and giggling at things that I'm not and vice versa. And I was like, woo. So when I got out, I immediately wrote to them because I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to be doing this is... I, there's all the other theater that I would love to be doing, but this excites me. I would love to be on that stage. Yeah. And I talked to my professor afterwards, and I had all these questions about the show, and he kept, and I, this became a, a regular response to these things. I'm talking to the actor who's in the show about a moment when blah, blah, blah happened. And he's like, what? In that moment when this happened, he's like, what are you talking about? When you were standing over here and that happened, there was a light or something happened. Oh, that moment. He said, and, and what did you call it again? Like, yeah. like he had not experienced at all what I was describing. And my describing it to him made him go, oh, okay, maybe I can see how you saw that. But clearly that was not a part of their process. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that is brilliant. That is beautiful. So again, instead of trying to spoon feed the audience, this is your experience. They created something where I got to have an experience. I related it to things that I knew in my life. And the people on stage are like, uh, okay, that works for you. Great. Yeah. 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 Those are wonderful moments. You know, as an actor, yeah. you're like, wow, I remember when you did that. I'm like, you remember that? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. It's, it's really, really awesome. Birthdays. Birthdays. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, we and it's funny because we've been away for a while, so mm-hmm. um, oops, I, I can I can go first if you need. No, I got the list. I just have to. It's a ten seventeen. If you're looking. Oh no, no, I'm no. great. Uh, okay, so uh, today uh, Juliet Tanner, who was my sister in uh, the House on Mango Street, um, among other things, uh, we played five actors played multiple characters in these stories from Sandra Cisneros's mm-hmm. stories, um, and we ended up doing it off and on for about four years so we feel kind of bonded and, and she's an alum uh, SF State alum oh, right so. on. Um, Siobhan Doherty um, is a woman I think I met through 
Each One Reach One, which is a program that, I don't know if they still do it, used to go into juvies and teach playwriting. Um, and then got to work with her in a number of other ways. She's an amazing talent actress. Um, she's an amazing casting resource and an amazing teacher. She's just got a wonderful energy. Her birthday's today. Mm-hmm. Trevor Allen, um, local playwright, has done all kinds of wonderful work and... He now lives a little farther out. He lives up in Vallejo, so, you know, like 30 minutes up the road. Um, And I keep hoping that there will be a Vallejo scene because I feel like there's a bunch of talented people up in that North Bay. And I'm like, y'all need to be doing theater up there. Josh Pollock is another SF State alum of mine and um, an amazing musician, amazing actor. I did a show with him where we did a 43 place for 43 presidents. 43, yeah, place for 43 presidents. Mm. Um, and among other things, he played Jefferson as a stand-up comic. <laughs> it was, okay. or no, he played Ben Franklin roasting Jefferson. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, it was sense. hilarious. <laughs> right, isn't that funny? That makes sense somehow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michelle Cordero is somebody that I met with a theater company that no longer exists, the Willows Theater. They focused on... You, yeah, I, I remember, remember the Willows. The Willows. Um, yeah, yeah, they. Corey, um, Corey Bytoff, I think, was a writer there. Anyway. They did well. They did mostly musicals, right? Um, I was a part of. A, they did the Texas Chainsaw Musical. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, well, Michelle and I met on um, Once on This Island, mm-hmm. which I hadn't had this experience since I was in high school of a cast who comes off stage from a big scene, and then we all creep over in the wings to watch the next scene. So we had moments where we would, the choreography would have us sort of dance, run our way across the stage in a storm. We'd all get off and we'd immediately rush over so that we could see the next little quiet two-person scene. Ah, it was, it was a dream. That was a long time ago. Rebecca Pingree is somebody I've been dealing with more and more recently. She is part of a team um, with Elizabeth, Elise. Oh, I'm messing up her name. Stebbins. Alyssa Stebbins. That's oh, it. Elizabeth Beth Stebbins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, um, they have a little company called Analog Theater. Mm-hmm. They do a thing they call Mask Mondays. They'll be doing one the last Monday of September. They do it every other month. They are three, um, with Jed Passario, they're three um, oh, yeah. MCs, sort of bumbling MCs who showcase... The rest of us, a bunch of local talent. So I've been on a couple of times this year. Um, just, you know, showing off a little five, six, eight minute piece. A little, I've been calling them sneak peeks of this James Baldwin project. Um, but they come in, they're going to set the stage for you. They're going to introduce your piece, but inevitably hijinks ensue. <laughs> and I haven't seen, like in person seen such a great example of mask work. And this last one that they did, I did it in the uh, end of July. They played multiple characters. The first one I did, they each just played one character. This time they managed to each play a couple of characters. It's so great to see somebody come in with that physicality and then come in with a totally different character. And you're like, okay, there's really only three people back there, but wow. Anyway, Rebecca is amazing. I'm going to skip this one and see if you got it, because mm-hmm. you might. Uh, <laughs> Daryl Harper is um, another actor I've just known through, African-American actor who I've known through a number of places in the Bay Area. And I think currently he's actually living someplace else and just doing a lot of voiceover work. Oh, nice. That was my list. Those are the happy birthday kids this week. Okay, Jules in, in Delicato. They, be, be respectful of... Pronouns. They, pronounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are a um, 
one of the most excellent sound designers that I've ever worked with. Oh. They have worked with, um, uh, we did Tasha and mm. also uh, Radio Golf. Just an incredible work of mm. just using Ableton Live and mixing. And wow. it's almost on the level of Greg Sharpen, although Greg, I think, is probably the, the, the best. I mean, um, just doing all sorts of cool things. I think I may know how to do, do sound design. I've, but. I've used you and intend to use you again. You're great. You're a really <laughs> solid sound designer. Yeah, but but Jules is on another level. Just okay. really, uh, just just intertwining uh, uh-huh. sound and making it an art form. So their birthday is today. Yeah. Uh, also today, uh, Ben Couch. Ben Couch was uh, it was wonderful when we had him on the A talking about being a young gay man from England coming to the United States. Mm. Uh, working with Bindlestiff Studios, a Philippine company, and finding a home there. He is now, he's out of the Bay. I think he's uh, doing other things, but it was great to have him on. He was both on the Yay and also I'm an American too. That was ah, a podcast that I had where right, right, yeah. I bring in people who are not American talking about their American way of life, especially when Trump was going on. Yeah, I wanted to get yeah. their version of that. So in any case, his birthday is today. Um, also, I have a bunch of folks who are not theater folks. Uh, Caitlin Everson, I think I was on the stage with her uh, a while back. But in any case, her birthday will be September the 10th. That's tomorrow. On the 11th, Shane Ray, the founder of Ray of Light Theater. His birthday will be uh, on the 11th. And uh, I had the pleasure of doing uh, Ray of Light Theater. We did Bat Boy the Musical, which I'm looking right there, directed by James Eichelhart, who later won a Tony. <laughs> so, Small World. Uh, so, happy birthday, Wonderful Shane. Small world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, George Gill. George Gill is um, it's such a shame that he's in Vegas now, but he is was a wonderful young actor. I stage managed him Tiny Beautiful Things. That was when COVID hit. Right. And so it wasn't able to go on stage. Right, but I got right. to see some wonderful... It's funny, when you get into the rehearsal process, usually it's just standard, you know, do you know your lines and mm-hmm. here's your blocking. But a lot of times you get into table talk and you get into serious emotional conversations and he was very open. And a lot of the actors were very open about mm-hmm. what this character means to them and all of that stuff. And uh, so there was some really, really emotional touching moments where mm-hmm. an actor was vulnerable. And so I remember that with George. Mm-hmm. So his birthday, happy birthday, George, if you're listening. Who else do I have? Abby Roan. You knew. <laughs> that was what you were saving it for. We, of course, did Before the Dream where I played Richard Wright and Abby played a bunch of characters. He played, um, he played Chester. He uh, not Chester, he played uh, Ollie. Yeah, he and played Ollie. And he played Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King, King. Jr. <laughs> and he played uh, some other characters as well. Yeah. But in any case, it was great working with him, and I have no idea what he's doing these days. Uh, so happy birthday to him, September the 14th. And that's it. Um, nice. Shows. The only thing I, I'm so off the radar right now, um, Wolf Play, which I'm going to see open opening at Shotgun tonight. Yep, Wolf Play that opened September the second. It'll close October the first. That was previews. Just tonight uh, is the opening. We, that's that's right. what I told we'll you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Carter is directing that. Doctor Stephanie Johnson is doing the lighting for that. Did the light is the, she did the lighting for it? Maya Herbsman is the uh, uh, intimacy, intimacy coach. coach. Yeah, I saw yeah. a picture. I was like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we have a link for that. Also, um, Cruel Intentions. Let's check my Rave Light Theater. They're, um, they open tonight. No, they open yesterday. Okay. And so they'll close October the 1st. I had said that uh, Sharon Shaw is in the show. I was wrong. Mara Sotelo is oh, in the show. Oh, okay. I got to get my Asian women right. Mm-hmm. Mara Sotelo is in the show, so check that out. 
Bald Sisters, San Jose Stage is doing that. That'll be September the 13th through October the 8th. Jeffrey Lowe, who directs everything, is directing that. Check that out. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk about Fred Pitt's show, Aren't You? Which is not what? Saturdays at 2? Is that what it is? Yep, or? until October the 21st. Yeah. So we have a link for that. So check that out. Yeah, you got to extend. Very happy about yeah. this. Yeah. New Conservatory Theater is doing Before the Sword. And Kim Donovan and Radhika Rao are in that. Ooh, who's yeah. doing it? Uh, New Conservatory Theater. Oh, I haven't seen a show there in forever. <laughs> uh, that opens September the 15th. It closes October the 15th. So check that out. Uh, the Altarina Theater is doing The Birds. The last show is tomorrow. So check that out. That's the Alfred Hitchcock um, movie oh. adapted to a play. How weird. Yeah, it is very who weird. I have no idea. Uh, Kimberly Ridgway. That's, I thought we knew that yeah. one. Yes. Apparently, Altarina loves Kimberly Ridgway. She's been directing she loves a bunch them. of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cymbeline, uh, that's another show that ends tomorrow, so check that out. Echo Yamamoto will be in that. Wait is a minute, is that, that the SF Shakes? No. Uh, yes, it is SF Shakes. And it ends tomorrow? It ends tomorrow in San Francisco. It will begin again. And then again. it goes in Arenda. Exactly. Okay. Until I was the planning 24th. planning on seeing it in Arenda. <laughs> yeah, check out They Echo are doing here. a um, 80s a la sort of. Um, not 80s. Well. 80s they're calling it but it's more um it's that bad period of taking things like um xanadu oh uh-huh yeah sure. um and, and you know oh, like take, new new wave stuff? it was sort of new wave sort of musical theater yeah, yeah. it's it's a, a it's a very specific cultural oh, genre you know what okay because i saw the uh i haven't seen it but i've seen the, the uh, logo the, 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 the logo yeah and it is very 80s and i was yeah. like okay so what's going on with that so i could see what you could almost imagine it. what was that horrible play that was uh the musical where everybody was on skates it's uh, starlight express yes yes yeah, yeah. It, it feels like yeah, yeah. they're <laughs> aiming to put it in that zone okay. and i'm like okay um i can kind of see symboling there i kind of can mm-hmm who who um it's the same person who did um who who did uh oh I've forgotten it um who wrote Star Express um it was uh, Lloyd Webber Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah oh yeah. geez <laughs> yeah. now now one of his things best I works. try to erase from my brain oh uh, Disenchanted is being done at San Jose Playhouse that is a Ooh. satirical take on Disneyland sure. <laughs> Um, Echo Yamamoto is in that uh, October 12th November. Damn. I love that Echo is using us she's yeah, like yeah, yeah. hey you're on the yay here's shows that I'm doing so please I wish more people would do that yes absolutely uh, and speaking of Echo she will next be in Sleeping Beauty at the Presidio Theater December the 1st through the 30th so mm -hmm. check that out mm -hmm. and Sharon Shaw will be in that as well mm -hmm. um Nollywood Dreams SF Playhouse is doing that September the 28th through November the 4th Angel Adudokan and Tanika Baptiste are in that, so check that out. Damn. Um, and I'm sorry, again, where is that? Uh, it's SF Playhouse. Damn. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the last show that I have, the o Eugene O'Neill Foundation is doing Anna Christie. Uh, and that That's going to be a really brief run, yeah. Yeah, that ends September the 24th. Okay. Uh, and Adrienne Dean, she's been... The showcase of that, I see her picture everywhere now. Mm -hmm. So she is in that. She's the star of the show. Um, uh, that last show you mentioned at uh, SF Playhouse, that's, I think, Margot. Is that the one Margot's directing? I believe so. Nollywood okay. Dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I should have uh, mentioned that. Yeah. And there are, don't just listen to the Yay, but we have other podcasts. Barry Graves, um, who was our Richard Wright in our play. 
He uh, has a podcast called The Black Man's Heart, so check that out. Mallory Samara, our consulting producer, her day job is KCBS Radio, and she has two shows that she produces, As Prescribed, and It's Generational, so check that out. Central Works has a podcast called The Central Works Script Club. It's a podcast where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with a playwright, done semi-annually. And also, Bindlestiff has the Fobcast, exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. And we have Yay Jerseys. Uh, we haven't had anyone buy a jersey in a while, but well, uh, I, we got to get we got to get back in people's. They got to know we're doing it. Right, exactly. So uh, it's thirty dollars. I have black. I have white. Uh, if people like, we can do the uh, pinstripes again. <clears throat> Just uh, PM me, and uh, you know, let me know, and I will hook you up. That is it. Aaron, it is 10.30 on the dot. Look at that. Nicely done. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, thank you, you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It's been It a was pleasure. great to hear about it, and I really do want to get you the information about free play because yeah. that it, would be it, sweet. Yeah, thank it was, you. It's, it's great seeing you again. I was, you know, just, it was a thrill to be a stage manager for you, for Rhett Mesmeric, and seeing how you work. And we talked off mic about uh, that wonderful moment where it was a blocking thing, and uh, you were working with Theo Black, and... He was Lavoisier, and he was doing this sort of Rube Goldberg sort of experimentation on the, the scientific method, and you had him reverse his movements. I'm not even sure if he was trained in doing all of that, yeah. but he did it. It was a, a fix that you needed to have fixed, and you did it, and I was like, wow, this is great spontaneity as far as a director's concerned, because a lot of directors would be like, I can't fix it. I'll just, whatever, we'll just deal with it, <laughs> and you, you would not let go, and we, we found a solution, so Thank it was you. great watching you work. Thank you. Yeah. Real pleasure. All righty. Um, you can listen to the podcast. You're already listening to it now, but we're on the Apple Podcast, that purple podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast. We're on SoundCloud. And now we're on Amazon Podcast. Just go on to music.amazon.com. Search for the A and you'll find us. To be honest, my favorite podcast app is Overcast because you can make all sorts of adjustments. Oh. It just sounds fantastic. So I would recommend that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an Apple guy, but, you know, they, I think they've just dropped the ball. As far They're as not just the only key. ones. So. Anyway, the A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. We're at the A3 at X slash Twitter. Oh, um, I don't know if we want to continue with that. But you can find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Aaron, we have your website. Um, sure. Theater Dubik. Yeah, it's uh, theaterdubik.org, mm-hmm. uh, which is T-H-E-A-T-R-E-D-Y-B-B-U-K dot org. Yep. And we also have a podcast called The Dibbicast that combines... Oh, right on! Uh, that combines scholars speaking with performed That's readings. That's great! So we're in, uh, we're going to launch season four in January. We've had three seasons, so just to mention as we're talking about that, uh-huh. uh, it's kind of a fascinating journey into creative text with scholars so that's, oh, that's so awesome we'll you. definitely yeah. push, push that thank the you and um and how can people reach you directly sure uh they can write to info at theaterdibic.org mm-hmm. and that reaches me and it also reaches our managing director so it's a good way to get directly in touch okay Yay. and Please. so you don't do the instagram or oh 
We do because I because I, I personally don't, I, but I forget that it is it is up there. It's so so yeah. theater Dimmick is on Instagram and mm-hmm. and at uh, Twitter X. Also, we have to look at that. Is also at theater right. Dimmick. So uh, you can just look us up at Theater Dibbick on, on any of those platforms, and we are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, let me get you out of here. It's 1030. You've got a show that you got to set up for, and um, Norman and I, we're just going to enjoy our Saturday morning. Love it. <laughs> Love it. All righty, thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we've got to find, find a better, better sign-off. Off. And we are out. <laughs>